Welcome to Christchurch Manchester Sermon Podcast. CCM is one church that meets every Sunday in various locations across Manchester. For more information about who we are or about our Sunday meetings, please visit www.christchurchmanchester.com. Does anybody else hate the M6 as much as I do? Yes? Yeah. Um, and the reason I hate the M6 is because it's full of roadworks. Um, and I was driving to a wedding the other week. We were going down south, and um, we were heading uh, down towards uh, the M6. And I didn't think it would be possible, but actually, they've added more roadworks. Before you even get to the M6, there's more roadworks. And um, what, what they do is they've got two of those skinny lanes that carry on, and then they've got one other skinny lane that actually goes out into the other side of the road over the other side of the central reservation, and you're stuck between the central reservation and a huge, large concrete barricade. Um, And I ended up in this third lane. I was there going along, and you can't can't turn off. There's no other way to go. There's not not a possibility to turn around or move into the other lanes. You're stuck where you're heading. Um, And what I failed to notice when I got into this lane is that you, you, can't, you can't change direction. You have to keep going until you get to the end. Um, and I began to panic because I realised I need to turn off at the next exit. So I carried on, stuck on this path, straight past my exit. And uh, there was no option for me to just, just keep going wherever it, it led me. And um, I think life can feel a bit like this too. We're stuck on a path of our lives that whether we chose it or not, we just end up having to follow it. We're stuck. There's no other options for us, and we feel like there's no alternative but to just keep going where we're already heading, even if this was nowhere where we planned to be or nowhere where we hoped to be. But for me, luckily, I only ended up one one junction down from where I needed to be. We we made the wedding on time. It was okay. Um, And this morning, I just want to share with us a bit to today about how God has offered the whole of humanity another option, another path for life, and how this is still on offer for us today. So this is part of our our series in Ephesians. We're looking at the book of Ephesians, um, and today's passage um, comes from from there. So Ephesians is a, a letter. It's a letter in the Bible that was written by a guy called Paul. Um, and he's writing his letter to a church in Ephesus. Um, now, as this is a letter, um, sometimes when we're, we're trying to study it, we're trying to go through it on a Sunday um, and talk about it in, in bite-sized chunks, um, it's sometimes a bit hard to read because when we think of letters, when we think of our mail, we, we read them all in one go, don't we? we can't just, you can't just read a, po- a postcard from your granny in Benidorm and, and just read the second paragraph. Like, you, need, you need the whole thing for, for, the, for it all to work. And, um, although it's so much great stuff in, in Paul's letters that, that we are going to break it down and, and look at what he has to say, um, I think for where we're heading this morning, we just need a little bit of context to help us um, in, this, in this letter. And that's because the passage that we're going to be looking at today is in Ephesians 2. And depending on what version you've got, it says, as for you, or in the one that I originally read it, it was, and just, just and, 
it starts with and. This really isn't helpful for, for and what? Where did we start? And, and where are we going from? So let's just do a bit of detective work. Let's go back to what Paul's train of thought was in and look at what he's trying to tell us in Ephesians and where we're jumping into in this story. So um, in, in Ephesians 1, Paul has been writing to the Ephesians saying that he really wants them to know, he's praying for them to know, the hope that which God has called them. He says, That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all authority and power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. So so Paul is saying, I really hope you get it. I really hope you understand this God's mighty work that rose Christ from the dead. I hope you understand it. And then we get to our passage. And our passage this morning is from Ephesians 2, and it is behind me, possibly. Um, It says, as for you, or and, and you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. And I've titled my first point, And You Were Dead, because, I mean, what an opening. (laughs) What an opening to to a section that we're, we're diving into. As for you, you were dead. What, what, what is Paul saying here? Um, I, I used to have an RE teacher back when I was in high school, um, and he used to tell us at every year or at every opportunity how that a few years back he had had a heart attack and he had actually died, but they had brought him back to life so that he could tell this story over and over and over again. <laughs> uh, honestly, we heard it so many times. It was really good for teaching RE, but um, yeah, we heard this story so many times. His heart had stopped, his breathing had given out, his body had no life left in it, but he lived to tell the tale. But I'm certain that Paul wasn't talking to people who had had this experience like, like my RE teacher. I doubt that all of them had had some kind of cardiac arrest or near-death experience or death experience. Um, But we often use this idea of death or dead, don't we? When we don't really mean that, we use it to portray an emotion or a feeling of of what we're feeling. Whenever I'm ill or I'm tired, or maybe some of you here this morning, if you stayed up late, a bit too late watching Eurovision, um, we might say, oh, I just feel like death. And I I often go to work and people say, how are you? I say, oh, I feel so dead today. I'm lifeless, I have no energy, and I feel empty. Other times, I know I've used this certainly to describe my, my husband Dan when he doesn't like my TikTok cute videos of dogs. Um, I say, you're just dead inside. <laughs> you're just dead inside. And what, what I mean is that he's just void of that emotion. He, he just doesn't have that, that. He's a bit numb and he's cold. He doesn't have that emotion. Um, in his defense, he does like alpacas, so, you know, it's, it's, all, it's all there. <laughs> and I, that is me being a bit harsh. Um, <laughs> but um, what Paul is saying to the Ephesians, he's not saying they had died, like my RE teacher, he had died. He was instead describing their spiritual state of being before they were believers. 
A bit like how we use those phrases today, maybe a bit rudely. Um, Paul was describing their spiritual life before Jesus was in it, lifeless and empty. As a result of this, Paul says they were dead in the way they were living, a bit like zombies in The Walking Dead or the zombie movies. This is how Paul is presenting their lives. But why is he saying this, and, and what does it mean? Well, it goes on to say that just like everybody else, just like the rest of the world, they were living a life, and they were constantly trespassing and sinning, meaning that they were living away, in a way that they turned their back on God and violated his divine standards, and that this was a path of living that led to death. Paul makes it clear that this is pretty much our default mode as humans, to, to live this life on this path. And like, just like everybody else, we, we follow our desires of the flesh, we are tempted by the enemy, and we are tempted to follow the world around us instead of God. And Paul says this is so easy for us. There's so much around us convincing and tempting us to do the opposite of God's will. And I think I know for me, when, before I became a Christian, when, when people spoke about sin, when people told me all these things to do with sin, this word sin, it's, it's quite weighty. And I think I always defaulted to think of these, these big things, these big break in the moral law, these moral conundrums. You know, we think of murder, we think of war, and everything that, that humanity's brokenness in, in that. And when people say to me, um, you know, you're a sinner, or you live a life in sin. I think I, I used to get very defensive. I'm not sure if you feel the same. You know, I, I'm, I'm a good person. I, I don't do these things. How can you call me a sinner? On the whole, I'm a nice person. I, I do good things. And it's really hard for us to, to accept this, this, this label, this term. Um, especially for me, I thought it was just because I didn't follow the Christian rules. I don't fit in that box, so I'm now a sinner. But this isn't something personal. Paul says this is the very nature of human beings, every one of us. And even if we don't break big moral ethical codes of conduct, but still live apart from God, according to ourselves, in our own desires, Paul says we are the walking dead, susceptible to following the rest of the world and fulfilling our own desires. Now, I'm going to share with you a short story about maybe how this can just play really easily into our, our decision-making and how we live our lives. And I hope it really does illustrate my point, but please don't report me, please. Um, <laughs> so last summer, um, me, me and Dan and some of our family went away to the Peak District on what was probably like the hottest, hottest summer day, um, the hottest weekend of the year. And I was convinced that. We didn't have a swimming pool, a paddling pool, or anything like that. It was so hot. I just wanted to swim in a river. I don't know why. I really wanted to swim in a river. I thought it would be cool. Um, it was so hot. It would be really refreshing. We want to swim in a river. We found a river. The only, thing, the only problem was there was a big gate that said, private property, trespassers will be shot. I went in the river. Um, <laughs> we, we, we ignored the sign that says that we shouldn't be going there, and we jumped over and we went in the river. Um, and when I go through my thought process of why, why did I go in the river? It was hot and I wanted to. I, I wanted the coolness, the refreshing of the water. I thought it would be really fun. And I wanted to take an Instagram picture to put 
on my feed. And I did. And if you go back on my Instagram, it is still there. Um, that, was, that was me. That was all that I wanted to do. That were my desires that I was following. Another reason that I went ahead, there was other people already there. There was already other people in the river. And I thought, well, they're doing it. Why can't we? Why shouldn't we? We followed everybody else and did what they were doing. And even more than that, it didn't seem like it would lead to anything bad. What's going to happen? What possibly could go wrong? And although I'm sure none of you, or maybe have, I don't know, have trespassed into a river, maybe you have, I don't know, I'm hoping that you can just see how easy it is to be tempted by the world, our own desires, and those whispers of the enemy that tell us it's okay to do so. There's a theologian called N.T. Wright, and he says, we live in a world where human beings, left to themselves, not only choose the wrong direction, but remain cheerfully confident that it is, in fact, the right one. Um, my, my, my husband, Dan, he grew up near Newcastle, and um, he was meeting a friend one time down in Yorkshire, and uh, when they turned up two hours late, um, they explained to Dan how they knew that they needed to go on the A1, um, but they hadn't noticed until they got to the Scottish borders that they had gone the wrong way on the A1. <laughs> um, I don't have a map, but for any of you who don't know English geography, they went completely the wrong way. They should have been going south on the A1, and they'd gone north. Um, and I think, <laughs> for many of us, we can actually live our lives just like that, confidently believing we're doing the right thing. We're not that bad. We are on the right path, but actually we're nowhere near where we want to be. In the Bible, in, in, in Proverbs 16, it says, there is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way to death. So if I was going to summarise this first bit that we've looked at, I think what, what Paul is trying to say, say here is that Without Christ in their lives, these Ephesians were the walking dead, and so are we. These trespasses and sins, they lead to death, and as humans, we're so susceptible to it. Actually, these ways of living that lead to death, we, we can't get away from it. It's inevitable. No matter what we do, the end is the same. And we have no power to change this inevitable situation. This is the state of humankind, and this is reality. We cannot change it. Now, I know this is starting to sound pretty woeful as a message, um, but this is just Paul setting a really great backdrop for what he's going to tell us. So let's carry on reading, because it does get better. Um, so we're going to move on to Ephesians 2, and it's in verse 4, I think. Yes, brilliant. It says, But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he had loved us, that even when we were in our trespasses, He made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. I love those two words, but God's. They bring me such uh, encouragement and hope and joy whenever I read them in the Bible. But God, Paul has set this scene. It kind of looks awful and really terrible. But God has intervened and God has given us an alternative route. Dan, we've mentioned about um, 
give big weekends this weekend. Um, and as Dan says, every year we've been at the church for a few years now, uh, everyone is so generous and it's really crazy to see how much people can give. Um, and sometimes I wonder, do you ever think, you know, those ri- the richest men in the world, e- Elon Musk or um, what's his name, Jeff Bezos, um, if they came to give big just one time, wouldn't it be just amazing? They have so much, ri- they are so, they are literally the richest men in the world. They have so much money and there's so much we could do and so many people we could help with that kind of um, the richness that they have. But these guys are so insignificant in their riches compared to the riches that God has to offer. But God isn't rich in money, although everything belongs to God. He is so rich in mercy, we read. And um, don't ask me why, but I just finished reading a book about Henry VIII. Um, I am cool, I swear. (laughs) But um, in the world of Henry VIII, um, people get beheaded quite a lot. Um, I'm not sure if you read about it at school, but if anyone has personally wronged King Henry himself, usually off of their head. Um, but what I, what I saw often in my book is these people who are condemned to have their heads chopped off, they often have an opportunity to ask for the king's mercy, where if he feels like it, Henry can just grant that instead of getting the punishment that they would do, they can go to prison or something instead. Um, and this mercy, and this mercy that God shows us, is this act of compassion that withholds a punishment that is deserved. And God is so rich in this mercy that even when we were dead in our sins, in our bro- broken in our humanity, and turned away from him who created us, he withholds that punishment of allowing us to continue down that road to death, and instead he provides another way. But not, not only does he give us another option, because of his great love for us, he has made us alive with Christ. He has raised us up with him and he has seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Now, as I, as I read those words or as you read them on the screen, does any of that sound familiar? Glad you were listening at the start. Um, <laughs> when we read before our passage, when Paul was telling them, I hope you get it, I hope you get how great your hope is because God in his power has raised Christ and he has seated him in the heavenly realm. And we read that we too, those same words Paul says to describe God raising Jesus from the dead, are everything that God did for Jesus we read about, he has also done for us. Just as, just as God in his great might raised Christ from the dead, we have been brought out of death. And just as after the resurrection, Christ was raised to the heavenly realm where where God dwells in his presence, so too are we raised above the powers of this world and of the enemy. And just as Christ sits at the right hand of God, we too are seated to reign with him forever. We have been brought into a relationship, this fellowship with God, just like Jesus. And just as Christ conquered this sin and death on the cross, Now, sin and death no longer have dominion over us. Now, I think I highlighted. Can anyone see the highlights? Are they the right colour? Can anyone who's maybe like good at English or knows anything about English grammar tell me what they notice about these words? It's not complicated. Past tense verbs. Thank you, Sonia. I was hoping someone would notice. (laughs) 
These are all past tense. Right, where am I? They're all past tense words. So that means that these things have already been done already. These things have been done. And I think sometimes when, when we talk about the incredible things that, that God has done through Jesus, um, that he has saved us from these walking dead existence and brought us uh, from death into life, what we can, what, this is what we call salvation, for those of you who haven't heard that word before. This is salvation. And I think often it's so easy for us just to focus or to kind of get wrapped up with what this means for us later when we come to the end of our, our earthly lives. Um, you know, we will be alive with Christ. We will be raised up and seated with him. But um, in the Bible, in 1 John, he makes it really clear and really straightforward for us. He says, whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son does not have life. We do not have to wait until the end of our earthly lives for our eternal life with Christ to start. If we accept and we believe and we receive what God has already done for us in Christ, his victory is our victory. It's already been done and we get to live like this now. It's kind of a bit like I'm going to use a sports analogy, but I don't really know about sports, so bear with me. You know, I think they do it in F1, maybe? F1, some of the sports, football maybe, where you have like a league, and like someone else behind you doesn't have enough points to beat you at the end, so you kind of already won before you even had the last match. Is that a thing? That is a thing, isn't it? Yeah, so you, you already won. You're going into the final round, the final race, whatever you are, and you've or, you know you've already won. No one can catch you. You've already got the victory and I think this is somehow how this this can um, really explain what this means for us when we we stand in in Christ's victory there's no way we can lose it's already in the bag and the victory has been won we can make the most of that match or or that race without fear without fear of losing or, or messing up and we have confidence but but being alive in Christ it it doesn't mean that we're always going to be joyful, we're always going to be happy. It doesn't mean that life is perfect. There will be struggles and suffering, pain and, and disappointment in this life as we wait for Jesus' return. But being alive means that our foundation is so strong that even when the storms come, we will live through them. Death no longer has a hold on us. Therefore, we have a freedom, that liberation from all those things that hold us down. Death no longer has that hold on us, so that depression, that that addiction, that loneliness, that that grief, it doesn't get the last word, and he will bring us through it. We hold on to that hope. Victory has been won, and we praise God for the spiritual renewal that he's working in us. We are no longer the walking in death, and we are made alive in Christ. So I'll just, uh, we'll move to our, the final part of our passage now um, and what Paul has to wrap this up with. Um, he says, For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it is a gift of God. Not by works, so that no one can boast, for we are God's handiwork, created in Christ to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. This life out of death, salvation, it is a gift. God is rich in mercy, showing us compassion, 
and withholding that punishment that we deserved. But God goes further than this, and he gives us more than we ever deserved. He made us alive and raised us up with him, even though we were far from deserving it. This salvation, Christ's victory that we get to share in, is not based on what we do or what we can do, or any of our abilities or anything that is, is part of who we are. Rewind to the beginning. Paul says that we were dead. There was nothing we could do. We were following that path. We can't get off it. So there's no way we can earn it. We can't turn towards it in our own works or our own ability. It's simply by faith, by accepting, believing, and receiving what has been done for us that we can have salvation. And Paul goes on to say, yes, we were created and it is our purpose to do good works. But that comes as a result of our faith that God leads us into once we accept that gift from God, that salvation. But does that mean that for those of us who are in Christ, they're now perfect? Far from it. I literally just told you that I broke the law. (laughs) Um, We are still the same humans. We still have the same potential um, for sin. But because of what Jesus has already done, we are totally forgiven. There's no longer any condemnation for those who repent, that is, to turn away from the sins we're walking and ask God for forgiveness and putting our faith in him. There's absolutely nothing we can do to earn that salvation. But equally, there is not one thing that we can do once we have put our faith in Christ that we can fall from his relationship that we were raised up into. Sin and death no longer have dominion over us. His victory is our victory.